Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. You can follow us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod and head over to Facebook. Give us a like there as well. And if you haven't done so already, a couple more things, please. Number one, head on over to the YouTube channel, the Thundercast YouTube channel. The links are in the description and hit subscribe so you don't uh, miss any of the content over there. Also, of course, the podcast themselves that you're listening to potentially on Spotify or whatever, is in the video format. So you can watch us on YouTube if you'd like to. Um, Second thing, of course, continue to share the links to our show with your friends and fellow Herd fans, folks at work, whatever the case may be, to help us get the word out to more and more Herd fans. Uh, We want to continue to do things like give tickets away, and we want to give more people the opportunity to win those tickets. I mean, we're going to keep giving them away. We just want more people to have an opportunity to win those because – you know, times get tight sometimes, people have families, it gets pricey. So if we can send, a, you know, a, a mom and a daughter or a father and son or a father and a daughter or any combo mm-hmm. under the sun or a family of four to a game, we want to try to do that. But look, let's get into everything. We've got a busy week to cover across herd athletics, a big football win, basketball season's on the horizon, and a lot of other things moving and shaking around herd athletics. So let's get into it. But before that, let's get a word from our sponsors at 304carrec.com. If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. You can't stop a bad driver from crashing into you and making you a victim, but when you're hurt and you try to deal with the insurance companies alone, you set yourself up to be a victim again. Don't be a victim twice. Jason and Matt can't protect you from bad drivers, but they can protect you from the insurance companies. Find them at 304carwreck.com. Uh, Russ, we've got a lot to cover this week. There was a lot going on around Herd Athletics. So, look, let's get it started like we always do with those five things that every Herd fan needs to know this week. As usual, these are brought to you by Ignite Link, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. Number one, Owen Porter named Sunbelt Conference Football Defensive Player of the Week. In a dominating performance by Owen Porter. Uh, I Folks by now know that he's one of my favorites and has been for a couple of seasons. And man, he put together a career day. And in fact, he even got gypped out of a sack because of a weird kind of rule, I guess you call it. That his, his tackle occurred too close to the line of scrimmage. So listen, in all intents and purposes, we're talking about a four and a half sack performance against James Madison because that fourth one was in fact behind the line of scrimmage, but still... Three and a half sacks on the day, rarefied air. I love when I get to use that term in a positive light. We're talking about rarefied air, guys that uh, have had three and a half sacks in a single game. What a short list of great players, and now Owen Porter is one. So, Sunbelt Conference Defensive Player of the Week, but really Defensive Player of the Universe Yeah, for that, for that game. And uh, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, and I, a couple of them actually, and I said that this reminded me of one of those games uh, in 2004 where Jonathan Goddard just took over Mm -hmm. the game. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of good performers on this game, which we're going to talk about later. 
but he really just took this game over, especially after coming back after the lower leg uh, mm-hmm. bang up injury, whatever. And uh, he kind of just walked it off because he's one of the toughest guys there is. And he went back on the field and just absolutely dominated. Yeah, uh, that that belie- I believe occurred on that unbelievably athletic play to dive back towards the quarterback to cause that fumble. And you're right. He was dinged up a little bit and I thought, uh Oh, this isn't good. And then comes right back. I mean, he's a tough SOB, right? I mean, you might as well call him the, the, the spring Valley rattlesnake at this point, because that was very, (laughs) very stone cold S that was a, that he's a tough SOB for sure. That was an amazing effort. Congratulations to him. Also made the PFF college national team of the week on defense for his effort as well. Uh, I, I just, I mean, what a, this is one that you'll go back and look at, you know, a, a few of those performances stick out to you and, and maybe you mentioned John Goddard. I don't, I don't I'm not for sure, but that might've been a game against Miami of Ohio. And I think a clip from that was played in one of the football intros from several years ago. Remember that they had the Steve Cotton thing. It's a cold and snowy night, but John Goddard keeps bringing the heat, you know, and it was, it may have been that same game. I don't really know, but it seems like it would be. I mean, of course my mind goes to Vinnie Curry and his uh, three and a half sack performance off the heels of the death of his mother, which was unbelievably uh, an unreal game. And he took over that game. I believe that was against rice. And of course, Darius Hodge just a, a couple of years ago had a three and a half sack performance. So this was an all time performance from Owen Porter. I mean, a Huntington kid, you just, man, I mean, how often can you say you love to see it? You just love to see it. And I can't remember. Do you enjoy his uh, celebration? I do like the six shooter. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. I think everybody else does too, because it, it seems like whenever we have a tweet out there about Owen Porter, it just blows up, you know, I mean, yeah. You can tell folks really like to see the local kids succeed. And how can you just not love watching him? I mean, yeah. how can you not? I keep using the term throwback player. He just looks like a throwback and everything throwback is awesome. And he's just a throwback player from a, you know, a, a rougher, tum- rougher era of football, it seems like. So what a, I'm glad it couldn't happen to a nicer, nicer kid. Honestly, Agreed. Agreed. All right. We're going to stick with uh, Sunbelt players of the week and we're going to go over to women's soccer where cat gonzalez was named the women's soccer offensive player of the week she scored three goals uh in a week where marshall in two games uh did not lose mm-hmm. so uh they had had some problems earlier had a, a rough patch and everything just great performance by her uh this week yeah it was in that game against coastal particularly how they the women were down late i mean yeah. late and they made like one 78 and 84th minute i think <laughs> yeah. is the, the, i mean some clutch uh, performance to come back and get a draw in that game uh you know things you're right they had struggled and and were looking for ways to get it right and it just felt like they needed to catch a break here and there and just needed something to go their way to build a little momentum and you know cat push pieces together a great week and the herd goes you know undefeated essentially technically you know and i mean that's that might be the thing you need to serve as a catalyst moving forward the season is basically winding down you're going to be heading into some belt conference championships here pretty soon but you know you you when you're trying to build a successful program you you try to point to anything that you can use as a jumping off point right Mm -hmm. and and small victories are large victories when you're trying to do that 
Well, this comes on the heels of them uh, getting a draw and a rare, extremely rare point uh, or goal, I should say, not a point, but um, getting a goal against James Madison. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, it's been a really good stretch of games for uh, herd soccer, and what a great time to do it when you're getting ready to wrap up and go into conference play. That's I mean, right. conference championship. So conference championship season. That's right. Well, the accolades are just going to continue on these five things because next we've got Tavion Kenzie is named to the Jerry West Award watch list. Uh, wasn't it one of 20 players nationally? Yes. It's not a very large watch list. So, And for anyone that doesn't know at home, this is for shooting guards. Okay, so this is a, a position-specific watch yeah. list, but still yeah. uh, one of – perceived by many nationwide as one of the top 20 in in at his position so well there's like 300 teams yeah uh, right (laughs) so you're in the top five percent yeah and and not only do i mean there's 300 and some teams that have multiple shooting guards so yeah uh we all we all know that tavion is poised to have a really special season to really put the the dot at the bottom of the exclamation point on his Marshall career. And a lot of us were really excited that he chose to come back and, and uh, play out this final year in Kelly green and white and, and help us transition into this Sunbelt conference. And, you know, this team is shaping up. They were picked in the middle of the road, you know, in the preseason standings and, but they're shaping up like they could make some noise. You know, a lot of those rankings you would have to think is because of the uncertainty at a number of positions and, you know, uh, the, the the new recruits coming in and transfers and how will they all mesh together and play. But the one thing you do know, which we talked about, I believe it was last episode, Tavion Kinsey's a bona fide star, you know, first team all Sunbelt Conference. Andy Taylor, you know what you got there, third team preseason all conference. And and you get accolades for your incomers, Kerfman, and and then you got to see how everybody shakes out. So I think this herd team could make some real noise, but uh, let's not get too far into that. Uh, just congratulations to Davion Kinsey for making this watch list. It's awesome. Yeah, short short list, uh, comparatively speaking, and uh, I think uh, there's going to be a lot of eyes on him. And the fact, I mean, how many times can we say it? He's moving back to his more natural mm-hmm. position and not playing out, and it should give him more driving opportunities on. Uh, those short uh, mid-range jumpers that he's been doing so well and developed over the years. So I'm looking for some big things out of him this year. Yeah, it should be a special fun season. All right. We are going to go over to talk about men's soccer for number four. They maintained, just came out uh, earlier this evening, maintained its number six ranking. And uh, to go along with it, and we'll talk about both of these, but they are now tied after that game the other day on Sunday. They are now tied with Kentucky atop the Sunbelt standings, each with 12 points. Which is odd, I guess, because Kentucky moved into number one, I believe, this in this week's polls. At least that's what the graphics were saying. Mm-hmm. So you can't get too hung up on the ranking, right? It's awesome that Marshall's six still, top 10 team, and has been for – you know, ever since they basically moved into the top 10, they haven't fallen back out. I thought, what would we like preseason 14 or something like that? When we, when we, when they were doing the preseason polls, it, they were outside the top 10. Let's put it that way. So once they moved into the top 10, I don't think they've fallen back out, but it just goes to show you, you can have the number one team in the country, the number six team in the country, and you're tied atop the standings. K- Kentucky's actually second still. They were tied for second. Now they're in second place by themselves. But uh, I think what you saw, was where they were uh, ranked 
number one in the Sun Belt. Uh, oh, okay, maybe I just saw a yeah. Sun Belt graphic with a big one. Yeah, it, that's what it was. They were they were one, and now we have tied with them. But um, I, I think they own the tiebreaker on because we've got a draw, and I can't remember. I, yeah, maybe, maybe an additional draw. I just I assumed that maybe they moved into the number one spot because I saw a giant number one. But still, my point They're, is yeah. still valid. You it's know, still valid. Yeah, They're number two. We're number six. We drew each other, and uh, you know it's. It, it looks like it's going to be uh, us and them uh, favored heavily. But again, right there behind us is uh, ODU mm-hmm. at third, and they just beat us two to one. Right. So, yeah, again, Sunbelt Soccer, we, we talked it up this year uh, coming in. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a pretty strong field. Yeah, so it just drives home the fact that all these – games you know if you're able to travel to them you know when the when postseason rolls around just not some about championships but college cup and all that stuff the crowd just like in 2020 played a huge factor for marshall in running the table in that in that tournament and ultimately capturing a national title and they're going to need that again you know because now you're in a tougher conference and these games are only going to be harder so Every bit of fan support, bringing that Kelly Green Army with you is a big deal, and that's what'll push these guys over the edge. You know, most things being considered equal, that that a live electric crowd a lot of times will push the edge to the herd if they're there. So you got to travel if you can. Hundred percent, and uh, you know if we match up in in this conference with Kentucky, I mean you're looking at two hours down the road from here. And we have a lot of fans that live in that Lexington, greater, yep. uh, greater Lexington area. So really hope if we have to go down there that we have a good showing down there, like you said. Yeah, because think about this. If you don't go, you can guarantee that that place will be blue and white packed to the gills. So you, ha- if for no other reason, you have to try to offset that home field advantage a little bit. But excellent point. Yeah. Uh, number five. Marshall came out, this was also this evening, $13 tickets to homecoming. Uh, Great promo. You've got to look. We tweeted it out. I put it over on Facebook. You've got to find this this deal. Uh, Click the link. Put the code in. You've got $13 tickets. I had some people message me earlier and tell me they have already purchased these uh, for friends, other people coming in. Great, great deal. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing deal because it's a homecoming and you don't really see like big time ticket deals for homecoming because historically it's a well attended game anyway. You know, mm-hmm. most people or a lot of people, if they can go to one game, they go to homecoming. Mm-hmm. So you can tell that Marshall has like, all right, we need to pack the house. You know, mm-hmm. we've we've got a quality team that's six and one on the year. And, you know, they came out and said, which we'll talk about a little bit more when we get into this recap. Marshall controls its own destiny. Now they mm-hmm. went out, they, they win the East. That's it. It doesn't get no simpler when, and you're in, you don't have to rely on anybody else or any other tiebreakers. You win, you're in. So you've got what we've said before, what many consider the best pro prospect quarterback coming in in Grayson McCall this week to play the herd at home for homecoming. And they want every herd fan in the stands to provide every single bit of home field advantage that we can get. And for 13 bucks, I mean, go to herdzone.com, go to the tickets page, put it in herd. The, the uh, code is HW13. Uh, you got to get some tickets. I mean, we've heard people in the past, man, it gets really expensive, and it does. 
and I don't know how much cheaper they can make it for you. I mean, this is basically half off, you know, if not a little bit more. So take advantage and go to this game, pack the house and get loud and, you know, for a cold, hopefully, I mean, I'm not trying to wish bad weather on Huntingtonians, but I hope it's a chilly night, you know, because uh, I think that that lends itself to what we do better than to what they do better for a cold night. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll discuss a little bit more about that. Like you said, uh, Katie, that was five things, but this week I've got a bonus thing, <laughs> a bonus thing. <laughs> yeah. How can we not talk about the accolades that Kalen Laburn continues to rack up? Let's, let's highlight them just a little bit. Number one, the game on Saturday mm -hmm. coming into this game, James Madison was the, and they still are the number one ranked rushing defense in the night in the nation they were giving up just over 36 yards a mm -hmm. game labor and torches them for 151 including two longer touchdowns one of which was 61 yards in those two touchdowns he more than doubled what they had given up per game coming into this game mm -hmm. let's talk about some other things seven games he's already got a thousand yards rushing yep Coming into this, everyone would have said, hey, if he gets a thousand yards, that's a that's a great successful season because, <laughs> you know, they expected him to be, uh, you know, playing RB2 behind Ali. Mm -hmm. uh, we had talked about it like uh, the last time the herd had two 1000 yard rushers and we thought that maybe this was a possibility that he could get to that mark. He's got it through seven games. Seven we, games, yeah. We've we've got five, maybe a conference game or conference championship game, maybe a a bowl game. You know, uh, and and I say maybe because these aren't guaranteed. We no. know that we know that five additional games are guaranteed on the schedule. So we know that he's got five more <laughs> games to add to his thousand yard season already. Um, seven one hundred rushing yard games in a row um just happens to be as we said after game two no one had ever done it twice for their first two marshall games now he's done seven in a row yep and and he's up in the rarefied air of how many people have had <laughs> he is the rarefied air <laughs> yeah he, he, he's got seven in a row um it's just insane to me you know yeah uh, first player in Marshall history to surpass the thousand yard mark, as we said, in seven games. Um, until then, uh, until he did that, Ahmad Bradshaw did it in 2006, and Devin Johnson did it in 2014. Took him eight games, eight games, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Devin Johnson ran for seven straight. 100 yard but he had an injury did not play in the middle of that if you remember he had the mm -hmm. bang up of the shoulder and everything he came back and uh and rushed for 100 the next game but he missed a game during that 2014 season so um i just you know he, he's still up there in the top three in the nation in uh, what he's second now i think second yeah second behind the guy maybe illinois i believe so yeah, yeah. um just man we cannot say enough about what this guy has done for our offense so far this year 
Well, you know, I tweeted it uh, either yesterday or the day before. Maybe it was today. I don't know. One of these days. And it, I was saying that, uh, you know, he's piecing together an all-time performance. And we're getting to witness it in real time. It's not like we have to go back and reminisce on YouTube, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, which we will undoubtedly do over the course of the next 20 years, you know, sure. just like herd fans do. But you're getting an opportunity to watch it happen live and in real time. And I know a lot of us are appreciating what we're seeing, but I don't even know that I'm fully appreciating all that I'm seeing on a game by game basis. This has never happened before. Mm -hmm. And still we come on a podcast and talk about, well, if we could pass the ball more, you know, that's what we talk about. And, and it, we're not taking anything away from him, but now I think a little unfairly, we just expect it. We just well, expect that, it. <laughs> that, that's what I was going to say. It's become, uh, you know, clockwork. Yeah. That, that he's going to get 140 yards and a, a touchdown or two, you know. Um, I I would love to go back and see what I had predicted about him running. I can't remember from when in this, you know, I, but I, I at the tailgate at the JMU game, I told the JMU fans that, you know, I, I was like, I, you know, no one's saying he's going to get 350 yards or anything like that. But I said, this should be the first time anyone cracks you guys this year uh, from a running standpoint. And uh, he did <laughs> 151 yards. Yeah. So it wasn't. I never went back and looked, and I knew the numbers weren't going to be offset that much because Marshall gave up more than their season average. Not by much. It was like seven yards over the average or something like that. It was it was something minuscule. But I thought, man, how awesome would that be if, you know, the average, the James Madison average got obliterated to the point that Marshall overtook them by like a tenth of a yard. And, and, well, and I was thinking, well, that's not really going to happen because, you know, you're going over the course of seven games, yeah. you know, but still. Uh, they yeah. they had 36 and we had roughly 72. It was yeah. almost almost double. Uh, we went up to 78 now allowed and we're third. Uh, we were number one and number two going mm -hmm. into that game. Now we're number one and number three and number two is just barely lower than our our average because uh, we'll t we'll talk about it again later. But Ajay Obase uh, got 96 yards against us and and. Our hours creeped up a little bit, but still laboring, man. He took them from, and we had some other rushes too, but he took them from giving up 36 a game till now they're giving up 54 or 58 a game. Yeah. All, which, all because, all because of his one game. All because that's right. All because he went out and just put on a, put, he put on the type of performance that we said. And again, we'll talk about this in a little bit that we had to have, we had, you know, we didn't yeah. know some of the things going into this game when we were yeah. talking about the preview. So it was, you know, we were talking about things a, a certain way, but you, you mentioned uh, that uh, the JMU running back had, what'd you say? 96 yards, 96, if I remember, but as a team overall, they only went for 83. So it was just barely over where yeah. we were at. So uh, Marshall keeps the opposition under a hundred yard dressing individually. And as a team, so, but still, we're talking about Kalen Laban. And the guy just, week after week, he proves that he is good for 30 freaking carries a game no matter what. Yep. And he will bust a long one on you at any given time. He will go over, around, through, or past you at any given time. And he's willing, and uh, he, he is willing to get the hard yards, hand it to me on fourth and one, I'll get you three. You know, that kind of thing. So, I hope fans at least for the remainder of this season, as long as they are able to hand the ball off to him, as long as he's able to take a carry, 
mm-hmm. have a little bit more appreciation over what you already have for what you're uh, witnessing in real time. And to, to that point, get your butt out to the June this weekend for 13 bucks and yeah. see an all time performance on a homecoming. Yeah. Well, that does it again this week. We had a bonus thing in there. Six things every herd fan needs to know, but as usual, like I said, brought to you by Ignite Link. Uh, riddled with Sunbelt Player of the Week honors and national honors. And, man, what a great week. This was a good week. Uh, of course, it's all capped off by the big football victory at James Madison. So we might as well move right into that. The herd headed up to Harrisonburg, Virginia, and it was uh, homecoming for the Dukes, and they were riding high. Previously a top 25 team off the heels of a really close loss to the hands of Georgia Southern when, you know, they just got passed all over, really. They did an excellent job against the run against Georgia Southern, only allowing 12 yards. And that was some of the things that we talked about, like the herd's going to have to be able to figure out this run defense and, you know, continue to do what they do in order to put themselves in a position to win. We speculated that we would probably see Cam Fancher start his first career game. We were right on that. Turns out that uh, Columbia was a, was a late scratch. He was out of the pads on the sidelines uh, after, you know, I don't know if he was in pads for warmups or whatever, but, you know, the first image I saw of him on the sidelines, he was just there in a jersey. So I don't, they did, I, I don't know if he was out in warmups with pads or not. 26-12, uh, to 12, the herd gets the victory bringing them to four and three on the season and one and two in Sunbelt Conference play, notching that first ever Sunbelt Conference win. And what a good one it was. Uh, it, even though it was an away game, herd fans traveled. Uh, there were quite a few of them there. Uh, and from, by all accounts, most of them had a great time. You're always going to have those fans that take it a little bit too far and whatever. That's just football. You have to do that. We mentioned before that the herd now controls its own destiny in the Sunbelt East Division when and you're in, and you cannot ask for any better of a scenario than that, period. You don't need any help from anybody else. If you can go out and take care of business, you are in. And two weeks ago, if you would have said that's where we would be, I think everybody would have been like, sweet, that's all we want. You know, for, from where we were two weeks ago till now, it was bleak, you know, and it's still not uh, particularly bright, but at least we know if we handle our business, we're going to go to the Sun Belt Championship game. So I guess from the outset, Russ, the first thing we have to do before we talk about your visit to James Madison, which I've heard numerous times from you, both in person, via text, and I even listened to some of that James Madison spaces that you were a guest on or took part in. You had a great time. So, But, but before we talk to all talk about that, I mean, we've got to get to – I hope you didn't eat dinner, you know, because we have a little crow to eat, and I'm ready. I mean, I got – I'm ready to eat. Um, I, I've been I've been eating some crows since uh, Saturday at the game, which I have happily been doing. Happily. I, I ate it all Saturday night. I ate it all Sunday day. I ate it all Monday. I ate it all today, and I'm ready to eat some more. Yeah. And, and I could not be more thrilled to eat this crow. <laughs> Because that means that we beat James Madison, yeah. which which I honestly did not expect because of some factors that we'll talk about right here in a minute. Yes. Uh, you had it 42 to 17, which you're not shy about saying that right. score over and over. You're not hiding from it or running from it. 
I thought I had it at 35 to 20. Both of us liked really James Madison to light up the scoreboard and the herd to keep it somewhat respectable, but they did way more than that. And of course, just like we don't make excuses for losses, we're not mm -hmm. making excuses for wins either. All right. Marshall right. went out and won the game. Right. Now, what we didn't know was a huge factor in how this game played out and would have undoubtedly uh, had an impact on how we previewed this game. And that, mm -hmm. of course, was James Madison quarterback Todd Santeo, who did not play. And that's a huge deal because going into that game, he was number 28 in passing yards in the country. It's over 1,700 yards, 17 touchdowns, and four interceptions. All right, let's get that out there. And – his starting right tackle that uh, was a, I think they said either an All-American or a, a, a preseason All-American. He was a stalwart on the line and he didn't play. And then they had another go down during the game. Yeah. So we're not making excuses. The Herd mm -hmm. won the game, but mm -hmm. these are things that had we known about them when we were recorded, there's no way you would have said 42 to 17. There's no, no way I would have said 35 to 20. No chance. No. Yeah. Like, I get it. Fans want to say, hi, we got you. You were wrong. Cool. Well, <laughs> I was. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was also wrong when I had us blowing out Bowling Green and I ate all that crow too. Uh, I said that we were going to, uh, uh, I, I called Louisiana's defense a paper tiger yep. and said that we were going to get them. And I was wrong about that. And I told everyone, yeah, I was wrong. And uh, I was wrong about us going down to Troy, even though I was much more concerned about playing Troy because of the matchups than I was when I predicted us to go up to South Bend mm -hmm. and beat them. And I, I said 28-23, uh, and we beat them 26-21. I mean, you know, I, I like matchups, and I like mm -hmm. uh, things, and uh, that's where I was going with this, but this was the first time that I picked us to lose and I'm thrilled that we did not. Yeah. I think this goes to show that, you know, when, when you don't have a stellar quarterback under center and Centeno has been stellar for James Madison, this yeah. whole season, his numbers show it, his play shows it. Then you have an opportunity to take a loss against anyone. And I'm not saying Marshall is bad. Obviously they're not bad. Their defense played an all-time game, all-time. Yeah. yeah. Several guys had unbelievable games. But when when you're missing a link like that, you can see how susceptible you are to a play here and a play there. You know, a couple of those passes that Atkins makes, Centeno might not make. You know, mm -hmm. a couple of those de decisions that are made that, that, that Atkins made, Centeno may not make. So it changes the way the game is played a little bit. Uh, the, the, he's a freshman, you know, where it was the battle of the freshman quarterbacks, basically making their first career starts and Marshall's quarterback, Cam Fancher was the better guy that day, period. He was the so, better player. So here's what I had, uh, done and I've explained it a little bit on uh, social media and also to some other people in person or, you know, via text or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I had Santeo being a problem for us and not just so much in the air, I viewed him as a much better version of the Notre Dame quarterback who was the only wheels that they had. Mm -hmm. I, I actually, I didn't know what Ajay Obese would do. He ended up getting 96 on us. Uh, nothing was really like huge, huge chunk plays that he got. He was just some consistent, you know, four yards here, six yards there, maybe nine or 12 here and there. Um, but 
I expected Centeno, who is very mobile, to be able to get out of the pocket, extend the plays, you know, catch a couple of, instead of taking some of these sacks, avoiding some sacks and picking up a couple of yards here and there uh, and helping with the field position. The field position was the major concern of mine that we were going to be on a short field because we've had passing problems and we had been throwing behind the line of scrimmage, not downfield. It's harder to move unless you're picking up a 61-yard run. Uh, It's harder to pick up those plays that move you down the field uh, for an 84-yard drive. Mm -hmm. I felt like we would be punting a a lot of times to give them a shorter field. Centeno would be able to extend some of these drives, and it would put them in uh, position to pick up scores, if not just field goals, outright touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So let me say one thing. I have been doing the rewatch, but because of work schedule and everything, I have not been able to get through it yet. Um, I have watched the majority of the first quarter. Atkins was throwing very well in that first quarter. I can remember that he threw pretty decent in the second quarter for a couple of big time passing plays. However, the field position, they were getting the ball after the muff punt. They got it on the 17. It was a one-yard, 17-yard touchdown drive that they had one play pass to the tight end on that uh, slow-developing play where he was blocking and then he dragged and no one was on him. 17-yard touchdown. They um, they scored 12 points in the first quarter, which if you extrapolate that due to the field position and, and things, that's 48 points. Yeah. So this is kind of the thing. No, I didn't expect them to do that the whole game. Uh, That's not the way football works. But this was kind of what I was talking about. If they get the ball on hour 47 to start, it doesn't take them long to move down and get a field goal. If if, uh, we have trouble moving the ball and they get it at the 17, obviously it's not going to be hard for them to score points. So that's where I was at with this. And it had nothing to do with our defense. It had more that I was expecting us to have some problems by not doing the downfield passing, which we'll discuss more later. Yeah. Well, and and that held true, right? For for the beginning of that game, most of the first half, really, James Madison lived around midfield. Starting mm-hmm. position was near midfield or on their on the plus side a lot. And that changed vastly, basically a 180. Marshall started to live around the midfield starting position in the second half. And, you know, you're right. If, if there's a more seasoned quarterback there that, you know, gives and James Madison starting four five, six drives in the first half around midfield, they're probably going to stack up a few more points than 12, mm-hmm. but still, you know, how many times has Marshall been on the back end of a game that they could have, you know, won? it would have been challenging, but it would have been one, but our starting quarterback was injured. And, and, you know, that team got to face our backup. So for once it worked in our favor, and it was a good time, you know, because we were able to weather that not in this, not the necessity of uh, or not needing to pass downfield all the time to stay in the game. You know, we were able to run our offense and do what we wanted to do, which allowed Cam Fancher to the opportunity to slowly progress into the game and develop and evolve into the game and become comfortable at a slower pace. And you could tell in the second half he was a much better, more efficient quarterback than he was in the first half. Uh, if you talk about that that first drive, whoo, 
that was rough. You know, penalty, you know, incomplete pass, negative two-yard pass, penalty, punt. You know, it was like, oh, man, here we go. But kudos to the herd, man. Bounce back. Um, you know, the the blocked kick PAT was huge. We'll t- I'll talk about that in a minute. But before we get into stats, give me just a quick uh, synopsis of your trip to James Madison and, and how the reception was and all that kind of stuff uh, before we, you know, start tackling some of these numbers. Yeah, very briefly, uh, I had been invited uh, because of the group chat we're in, the Sunbelt chat on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I had been invited by uh, one of the one of their fans to come by their tailgate. Hey, we're if you come by here, we'll treat you right, that sort of thing. So Ashley, my wife and I, we we parked and walked over there, and uh, they were not lying. You know, they they treated us right. They kept us there the whole time and uh, made sure that we had a good time and. I talked about James Madison and Mickey Matthews and the connection that we had and how they're moving up and they had won a national championship, kind of similar to Marshall. And they had a lot of respect for our program and they were asking questions about how we did things and all that. They tailgate like mad. They had a great setup for it. Um, They had various different lots. Theirs are a lot more broken up than ours, but they were out there all day tailgating. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had one cross word said in our direction that was toward my wife because someone was joking with her while we were standing in this line to get into the stadium. And uh, they said something, uh, uh, go Dukes. And she said, no, it's go herd, you know, was joking back, you know, because they were both laughing. And uh, I believe it was a female college student walked by and called her a derogatory name because she had the audacity to say, go herd for the team, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Uh, but you know, it's not our first rodeo. So we just kind of laughed it off and stayed in line. Uh, That is a negative that when we were in line, we were in line for 40 minutes to get into the stadium. Uh, James Madison fans have lit up, everything on social media and talking about how ridiculous it was to get in there, but it was basically two individuals at a time going through metal detectors and, you know, having to take everything out of your pockets and everything. I mean, I've been through airplane lines that moved a lot faster. Mm -hmm. Um, We were on the visitor side. They had one uh, women's restroom, one men's restroom lines were ridiculously long for that. They had no concession stands over there, so they had two trailers set up, concession trailers, and those lines were really long. Uh, I had told my wife I was going to grab a beer for her when I went down to use the restroom. I waited in that line. They didn't serve beer there. Now, they did in the stadium. They just didn't there on that side. So a lot of major hiccups on on that side. That side is... uh, what you would see at most mid-level or smaller high school stadiums. Uh, The other sides, what they've been building up, Mm -hmm. I didn't get to go over there. My only other gripe was um, they had uh, no video board except for the one major one. There was one behind us that we didn't know until after the game, Uh, but there was nothing on the home side or the opposite end zone. So we were like at a bad angle to really see any kind of things, but uh, they're going to get there. They've got a lot of money that they're putting into that stadium over the years. They'll get there. So herd fans, if you go uh, in two years, expect to 
be taken care of at their tailgate. They love to tailgate. They love to host you. They'll be civil and uh, just expect that until they do those renovations that you might want to plan ahead and everything if you're going to be on the visitor side. Yeah. And you probably think that some of those things that you mentioned are things that have to be taken care of for SBC guidelines, you know, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. I mean, you got to have adequate restroom facilities. You got to have adequate, you know, concessions for the visiting fans and they can get that stuff taken care of. One other thing that I forgot, if you had AT&T, you had zero service as soon as you got into their stadium parking lot until after the game when you got out of there. So it was four and a half hours that I couldn't send a text message. I couldn't look up any kind of stats. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I needed to call paramedics, uh, I would have just had to have yelled because uh, our our good friend uh, MU Thundering Blog sat there with us and he had T-Mobile and he had enough that he could look some stats up, but uh, we did not have any kind of service whatsoever. I had a flood of social media, uh, you know, texts and messages and, text messages, DMs, all that, as I was leaving the stadium, they finally popped up. Mm -hmm. Well, again, a lot of this stuff will take, will probably be taken care of just as Marshall has to have, you know, scoreboard update or scoreboard upgrades for some of their other facilities by joining the SBC. Imagine Uh, what people say about going to our baseball games when they're coming in from out of town, especially from the Sun Belt. Right. Uh, so it, I'm I'm not bashing them. I'm just no. giving you, I'm just giving you a rundown of of what it was. My experience was a a 95 out of 100, and it, it I can I can get through a game without having cell phone service and you know having a a line at the bathroom. But of course, all that stuff together, uh, the JMU fans were just as uh, as upset about it that that we were. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a different tier, right? You finally moved up to the FBS, so some of their fans, a lot of their fans are probably like, look, guys, this ain't going to cut it anymore. You know, we've got to, as we have elevated elevated as a program, so do our facilities also need to elevate to that level. And it'll come. It takes time, right? But uh, it's great to hear it was a good trip. It's it's nice to hear that those folks take care of you. They're a lot like what we like to do, which is we're going to tailgate, you know, and, and if you stop by the – Thundercast tailgate, we're going to take care of you. We're going to make sure you've got a friendly place to land before and after the game, and you're going to feel like you belong there. So it's nice to know that we continually meet people like this around the conference that are just as welcoming. That's that's something that, you know, as as this show grows and our network of fans from other schools grows, we'll probably be making more games, and they'll be coming to Huntington more often. So it's just nice for those folks to know that they can – have a safe spot to come and kick it before the game and after the game. Absolutely. But look, let's get into the stats of this game, okay? Let's get into All those right. four four big indicators, then we'll go down some individual stats. Uh, total yardage, time of possession, first downs, and turnovers all favor the herd in this one. 326 yards for Marshall against JMU's 247. Time of possession a little closer. 31-24 for the herd, 28-26 for James Madison. First down's also kind of tight, 12 to 10 in favor of the herd. Turnovers, though, that's the big one. Marshall grabs five. James Madison gets three. Uh, and get a little bit of sloppy, but it was also a punt fest. I mean, the dr- offensive drives were kind of at a premium. There's a lot of punts involved in this one. But still, turnovers were the great equalizer allowed Marshall to get that lead and keep that lead. Uh, just exclamation point by that defense, which we'll get to uh, when we get to your grades. Cam Fancher gets his first career start, goes out and gets a win in a big, a big time matchup in a 
over capacity crowd. I believe it was over capacity for their homecoming crowd. Yeah. So a new, I don't know if it was a new stadium record, but it's it still was. Like, oh, was 20, it? 26,159 and it beat theirs uh, maybe by 300 some, wow. I think. Yeah. So cool. Uh, uh, a new all time high to see. Capacity was 24 8. And yeah. uh, so there was about 1,800 standing room only. And that contributed to these longer lines and you know, the longer bathroom lines and concessions, that sort of thing. Yeah. Cam though, a uh, pretty decent day. Started out kind of rough, got better as the game went along, let a few throws get away from him. 15 of 31 on the day, 159 yards, one touchdown, two picks. He was sacked three times, but those also kind of disappeared toward the second half of the game. I think there was a marked effort to get the ball out of his hands quicker, which led to, of course, fewer pressures and sacks because it was, Hey, if it's not, if it's there, get rid of it. If it's not there, get rid of it. If it's not there, tuck it and do something with it. Uh, nine carries to 22 yards to the good also for Cam. Kalen Laburn, though, <laughs> again, uh, 30 carries, 151 yards, two touchdowns on the ground, including that 61-yard touchdown that you uh, alluded to earlier. And I, I don't know if you've paid particular attention. I'm sure you have. I don't know if a lot of Hurt fans did. That play is on the ESPN website. You can go look at it. You know, it's like the only highlight they've listed for the game. Go watch the offensive line blocking in that game or in that play. Just please go do yourself a favor. If you're thinking that our offensive line is in is uh, in disarray for whatever reason you might think, and just that one particular play, look at that and go, damn, that was textbook. You know, mm -hmm. we got guys looking for a second guy to hit in that in that play. So just just look at that one and and enjoy one textbook effort if anything a thousand and two yards you mentioned now in the season for labor in just seven games and 12 touchdowns on the ground Corey gamage five catches for 107 yards and and a touchdown the big 57 yarder which was also a butte uh what is this Corey's now third career or fourth career 100 yard game i don't remember what it was but uh he had one against bowling green and now this one uh, first drive, like I mentioned earlier, was horrible. It did not look like the herd was ready to roll in this one, but they pulled it together and straightened it out and pieced them, got some good plays together and, and put some points on the board. And then they started to roll a little bit. Uh, the big thing though, three of 18 on third down, woof. And, and they did lose yet another fumble inside the five yard line. Corey Game is trying to make a play and uh, gets the ball punched out inside the five, but. The positives, though, Marshall scores 24 unanswered points. And I mentioned that Cam progressed quite well throughout the game. So offensively, it was a little bit of yin and yang. But the 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 positive was better towards the middle end of the game, which is something you like to see is hopefully a positive moving forward. Owen Porter. <laughs> Let's read the stat line. Nine tackles, five of those solo, four and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, one pass defended, four quarterback hurries, and a forced fumble, of course, and Russ alluded to it in the five things. He is the Sunbelt Conference Defensive Player of the Week and also, of course, lands on the PFF College first-team defense on the national team this week. Charlie Gray, um, if this game by Owen doesn't happen, Charlie Gray has a phenomenal game that leads the talking anyway. Uh, eight tackles, three of those solo, one pass defended, and not one but two. Beautiful INTs on the day. Tyquez Legs in his first action of 2022. Seven tackles, one solo, half a tackle for loss. Uh, he did go down, but I hope I didn't notice if he came back in. I, I don't know. I hope he did. He did. Uh, 
Impact plays, they were a plenty. Interceptions by Charlie Gray to Micah Abraham and Andre Sam to close out the game, basically, and seal that one away. Kobe Cumberlander gets two fumble recoveries on the day and sacks by Owen Porter, Anthony Watts, Emmanuel Bush, and Sam Burton. The herd was rolling in the impact play category. It was amazing. Uh, This defense held... Uh, James Madison to just 83 yards rushing as a team, which is just 2.2 yards per carry. They forced five turnovers. James Madison went 0 for 17 on third down, 0 for 2 on fourth down, which is an all-time high, that 0 for 17 program high. The previous was 0 of 16. Uh, They forced seven sacks, 11 tackles for loss, and four quarterback hurries. Holy moly. Uh, special teams wise, uh, Reese Verhoff one of one on field goals, three of four, three of three on extra points, two punts on the day for a 36 yard average. John McConnell must be tired. Ten punts for 405 yards, a 40.5 yard average, a long of 64, four touchbacks, and three of them inside the 20. And Talit Keaton had a little bit of a bust out day in the punt return game. He had four for an average of 14 yards and became, it was like. Two times it was a shoelace away from going to the house. I mean, it was right there. Uh, And the herd on special teams also, I mentioned, blocked that extra point, which was returned for, I don't think it's a safety. I think it's called something else. But uh, that was a huge play because that keeps Marshall from going down 10 to nothing. And instead they go down 9 to 2, keeping it a one-score game and really turn the tides of that game. James Madison adds on a field goal and then nothing else for the remainder of the day. Russ? Wow, I don't know yeah. what I don't know what else to say. Uh, did you did you jot down your keys to victory? Do you want to revisit those again, like we did? I do it every week, but you did it last week. Uh, I can't remember all of them. I did not jot it down. I had them the previous week against Louisiana because we were on those radio shows okay. uh, down there. I, I don't have them in front of me. Okay, well, I've got mine. We'll revisit those real quick, and we'll go right into your grades. Number one, I said that the herd had to play their best game of the season. And I think overall, they did that. I mean, offensively, it probably wasn't their best show out because what are you going to – I mean, you can't take Norfolk State into account. You can't take really – you know. So offense, defense, special teams, I think this was overall their best game of the season. So that's a big check mark yes for me. Number two, I said they had to own the line of scrimmage on both offense and defense. And hello, (laughs) to get get 150 on the ground from Laburn, I think you own the line on offense. And your defensive line goes absolutely insane with seven sacks, and they force four interceptions. I think they owned the line on the defensive line as well. Number three, I said they had to win the turnover margin by at least two, and they did that, five to three. And this was also taking into account that Centeo was going to be playing this game. We thought that was going to be the big thing you had to contain. And number four, I said Marshall had to win what I called the fifth quarter right the last half of the second quarter the first half of the third quarter well they almost did that because they scored a touchdown with 954 left in the second quarter which was labor and 61 yard run so just outside that seven and a half minute mark but then with 13 17 in the third quarter that's when gamage gets the big chunk play touchdown so really they score 14 points just outside that fifth quarter window so i'm giving that a yes they go four for four and they get a big big win now you get to expound on some points. Let's go to the uh, let's start with the quarterback. Uh, for the first time all season, Marshall plays one quarterback and one quarterback only. They let Cam do his thing. Henry was out and unavailable, so it wasn't really a traditional Willie Wonie play. But this was Cam's Cam show. 
from beginning to end, for better or worse, whatever was going to happen was going to happen unless he was injured. That didn't happen. So this was the Cam Cam's opportunity. Uh, so what do you got for Cam uh, against James Madison? Before I get into that, I've got one five little second thing to talk about. Uh, I would say that this was their second best game played. I still have them playing better against Notre Dame as a team, yeah. especially at, in front of 70,000. And that's true. You know, the, the drives, the, the minimal mistakes, that sort of thing. So, it, it, uh, well, let me to that point, it is going to okay. be really, 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 really hard to dethrone that 90, what was it? Six yard drive, 94 yard 94, drive 94, to go down and take the lead in that game. I mean, that's, that's an all time drive. I mean, yeah. it is, it's an all time drive. So maybe I'm, maybe I've got a little, you know, recency bias going on there, but it's hard to, yeah, you're right. This is probably their second best game of the season. Yeah. Uh, I'll still give you that one though, because uh, overall, I mean, if we would have had the sacks and the defensive performance that we had against Notre Dame, I mean, we'd still be carrying the goalposts around, you know, so. <laughs> um, Cam starting was a big key for me. And I liked that, um, and I'm not here to dog Henry Columbia at all, um, but what they were doing to us was, and I don't mean James Madison, all the teams this year, they were blitzing quite a bit, and he was having trouble uh, escaping that blitz, uh, whereas Cam being more mobile, he was doing a lot more rolling out. Uh, it was a, a, just a, another dimension. One of the other things that he did was he was throwing the ball over the middle and downfield. Mm -hmm. I, I was charting, and I still will, just to compare this game to the last game. And even through right now where I'm at, we are setting up to block the uh, point after try. So that's where I'm at in this game. And so far in this game, he has already thrown the ball downfield more than we did in the previous game, he's already thrown to the middle or at least right on the hashes more than we had in the last game. Let's talk real quick about um, that muff punt. I know this is, but this is about Cam, but that series, he slightly underthrew um, Keaton, I think it was, on a, on a quick slant that was right to the middle of the field, right where the hash was. And he threw it five yards, you know, past the line of scrimmage. It looked like a guaranteed first down because Keaton had the edge. Um, we missed that. And then we missed the next pass out of bounds. And then that's when the muff punt happened. Uh, took us 13 yards behind the line of scrimmage. And then we got the 10, 10 yard penalty behind that. And they, uh, like I said earlier, threw a 17 yard strike. Mm -hmm. What a change from if he doesn't throw that ball right behind Keaton, who would get a first down, then maybe we're driving down, at least putting them on the other side of the, the 50. They end up within three plays. They're on their 17, and they score. Mm -hmm. um, but still, the point is that was a downfield, over-the-middle, quick slant pass that we just have not been throwing. It was right there. It was just happened to be just behind him. Um I said on our post-game spaces, uh, one of the commenters said that uh, he seemed to be missing high, 
And uh, to me, it felt like live, and I don't have the benefit yet of going through the whole game, but those were after, you know, all the rushing and, and things like that, that he was forced to kind of change his throwing angle, try to throw over so it wouldn't be batted down. And it just seemed like he was throwing a little bit high after the um, later in the game. He's still throwing downfield. Um, but man, what a change. And when you throw downfield, you got chances for things to happen. When you throw over the middle, you got chances for things to happen. And we had a much better passing day than we've had in a quite a while. Uh, so it's a breath of fresh air. So what do you give him? I have to go with a C plus, And the only reason is the two interceptions. One was to double coverage. Um, I mean, I could, I could probably go even B minus, you know, first career start um, on the road, on the road. Even though, you know, we're not talking about he was at Neyland Stadium with 104,000. Still, you know, we were on the road for a very good team, a very good defensive team, mm -hmm. I would like to remind everyone. Um, they were not just all about the rushing defense. They were 11th in the nation in total defense. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to change that and go with a B-, minus, and it's only because of the interceptions. Uh, I don't give him any points off for the uh, the missing because I would much rather him be throwing and be slightly inaccurate instead of going like 13 for 17 and only picking up 85 yards. He was throwing the ball downfield, missing at times, but that allowed us to open up the offense. And that's more about what it is to me is the opportunity for the defense not to just key on the line of scrimmage because they know that's where you're throwing. Yep, that's true. That's a good point. I mean, I, there's a lot to be said. Even that you're you're right. You don't go to Neyland Stay and play in front of a hundred thousand people. But hey, we know as well as anybody that twenty eight thousand people can be loud as hell because we've been part of those crowds at home, it's, especially the way it's packed in. And that's stadiums. right. Um, now, the other thing that uh, I would say is early in the game when I was charting these, and again, I wish I could have watched the whole thing uh, before I comment on this, but his first two passes were both behind the line of scrimmage mm -hmm. and they were ineffective mm -hmm. and we were giving up bad field position. And this just explains what I was afraid of going into the game. Only when we started throwing the ball downfield did we start moving it more. Uh, and only then did that open up the run. So that's kind of what I'm talking about for for that. It's just a, a change of the way that we played the game uh, from the pass allowed our total offense to do better because the defense cannot just put eight in the box, or even if they're not putting eight in the box, they can play bump and run against your wide receivers knowing that, hey, we don't have to give them a big cushion because they're not going to try to hit them downfield. Yeah, that's right. So – what about the offense as a whole? You know, we labor goes 150, couple big chunk plays go for touchdown. Uh, we we do keep some points off of the board with a turnover inside the five. So you've got a little bit of a mixed bag kind of all the way around. But still, Marshall puts 24 offensive points on the board and really dominates the second half of that game uh, from an offensive. I don't know if you can say dominated from an offensive. They, we were the only ones to score. So I guess in that capacity, you did dominate, you know, I give them overall a B plus. Uh, and the reason that I would take points off is we had three turnovers. Yeah. 
uh, I am not taking anything off for all the punts that we had because, again, this is a very good, stout James Madison defense, especially their defensive line. And we, for the most part, handled that, and we handled it very well. So the only negatives, I'm was the game kind of ugly at times with punts from both teams? Yeah, but how many times have we seen in this Sun Belt all these stout defenses that seem to be in this league? We were up against a very, very good one, and we, yeah, we had a lot of punts, and we could have done better, but... I'm only dinging us for the uh, turnovers. Yeah, I made the the comment. Someone had mentioned that on you know Twitter during the game, and I said, "Man, you do you got to do what you got to do to win." Yeah, and that's what we need to do to win. If we've got our defense is playing freaking lights out, so what did what would be your concern to punting the ball back? Because they're not they're not moving the ball on you. Yeah, I mean, put them back even if it's a, a touchback, and they're getting it at their twenty. They're not going to be getting, you know, they weren't doing anything. Yeah. And the we had the momentum at the time. Uh, they just, if, if they were going to run it, we were going to stop them. If they were going to throw it, we were going to intercept it or they were <laughs> going to miss it. So, or Owen Porter was going to eat your lunch. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, sometimes it's that field position <laughs> game. And again, we were up a score and uh, plus, a, uh, you know, a score and then, we ended up up uh, 14, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at that point. I mean, what's it matter? You know, yeah. if, you, if you score three more points, you're not winning the game. They don't give you a point a, or a win and a half. You know, yeah. you get a win. Uh, we we did everything that we needed to do. So that's a good point. You know, as frustrating as it was for some of those herd fans to watch us continue to punt, how do you think those James Madison fans felt? Because we were at least putting points on the board. Yeah. We were stringing chunk play drives or breaking one law. They were unable to do that after the first quarter. They yeah. had 15 minutes of fun. Little and- bit in the little bit in the second quarter. Uh until really until the 954 mark when you mentioned earlier when Laburn broke that run. Up until that point, there was still uh a lot of this does not look very good. Yeah. You know, uh they started slowing down, but they were still uh, in the second quarter. Atkins still had some very long pass pass plays, and it was still looking like, man, they're they're going to be able to control this uh, field position. And only when Labron flipped the field with the sixty-one yard touchdown run, and really kind of changed the game, that that really did it right there. Yeah. So they, it was the first uh, first quarter was much better than the second for them. But still in the second, until that, you know, they they were moving the ball on us. Yeah, they moved the ball, but they they weren't able to tally any more points. So they that's yeah. what I that's what I yeah. was getting at. Like yeah. they were they were having a great time in the first quarter, put twelve yeah. points up. You know, we, they were great. We're doing good here. It's twelve to two or whatever it was, and yeah, you know, and you're like, mm, that's it. You know, yeah. you might get a few yards, but that's it. So <laughs> let's get to the easiest, most slam dunk grade of all time here. Uh, what do you got for this herd defense this week? Um, how many pluses can I get? As many as you want. I don't. <laughs> Let's go a plus to the twenty sixth power. Okay, I can do that. Uh, twenty six. That's a lot of pluses. Yeah. Um, obviously creating the turnovers. Uh, obviously, you know, at times I imagine it was almost like on the movie unnecessary roughness or no it was necessary roughness um 
where Pompke was yelling, blow the whistle, blow the whistle. <laughs> he had to have been doing that when, when Porter was, I mean, just teeing <laughs> off. Uh, and Porter wasn't the only one, right? Yeah, no. Uh, and And until later in that game when Porter just took it over, like I said, you couldn't have convinced me in the stands that someone could wrestle away defensive player of the game from Charlie Gray up until that point. Mm-hmm. He had he had the two interceptions. He had uh, you know, a really good open field tackle that saved a first down or or you know, a huge chunk play. Um he had uh, uh another uh, this was a little bit later in the game, but he had another near interception that was a tip ball that may have been an interception by someone else. I, I can't remember if that one was maybe missed on the inter- I again, I haven't been able to go back and do my rewatch that I usually do. Um, but Charlie Gray played great. Andre Sam played great. Mm-hmm. Uh, legs being in there for the first time just added another dimension to uh, our defensive line. Yeah, more depth to an already ridiculously deep unit. And this is uh, this is one of the things that we had talked about before in a different position group. But when you add that player, you know, it allows another player to do or another position group to do more. And uh, that's the thing. If he's getting good push and penetration against his guy, that just means that somebody else can't get doubled or mm-hmm. chip shot or something uh, can't get picked up off their spin or their swim. Uh, but we lived in the in the backfield for the second half of that game and it showed and it, it was it was comical at, at one point just how we were just destroying their offensive line. Now again, all credit to what I said earlier. They had a very good right tackle that missed the game with their QB one, and then they had a an injury during the game. So they had kind of a depleted for that second half offensive line but does that happen it happens it happens to us it happens to everybody injuries happen uh <laughs> famously Rasheen Ali still has not played this yeah. season you know so when everyone says well you know our QB1 was out or whatever yeah our all-american running back has been out all season yeah remember that guy yeah. And again, I'm going to keep saying it. We make no excuses when we lose, and we're damn sure not going to make ex- excuses when we go out and dominate at a particular area yeah. in the game. And this right. this defensive line was what we have been calling them, and Huff called them leading into this. They were the very definition of violent and disruptive in that game, without a doubt. So we make no excuses. Football is what football is. Everybody gets hurt. Everybody's injured. Everybody's playing less than 100% right now. So – you still got to line up and win your matchup. And our guys were able to do that all game long. So uh, I don't know what else you want me to say. They dominated and they deserved it. So I'm not going to apologize for them having a great game. I no, don't, think, I don't think we deserved it. I don't think that that doesn't do them any justice. They went out and played an absolutely phenomenal game and they deserve every accolade and tackle and sack and impact play that they tallied. And here's the rub. Let's say that Centeo plays. If we're playing the way we do against Centeo, doesn't matter. What like, could he do? Yeah, nothing. Nothing. I mean, he 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 can get tackled just like Atkins can. You know? Yeah, he might have avoided one or two more of those sacks because he's a lot more mobile. You know, and that was one his dual threat. That was one of my things that I thought that he would be a a problem for us. Just like 
the only way that uh, Notre Dame was able to move the ball downfield besides their all-world tight end was the the legs of their quarterback, and that was one of the things that I thought Centeo would do. Against the defense, the way they played, buddy, 1995 Tommy Frazier ain't going to be able to do very much. <laughs> All right, so let's move along to the special teams grade. A little bit, again, of a mixed bag. We talked about leading in. This is one of those games where you're not going to be able to have that you know, you call it a muffed punt, but actually we had one shanked punt that didn't go very long yeah. at, a, at a very vital time. And we had the illegal kick, which was the real killer uh, that led to points on the board for James Madison. So two kind of fairly large blunders in that area, but we had some good things too. Overall, the punting on the day was great. You know, we were able to flip the field a couple of times. We were able to go kick for kick with those guys and not fall behind you know, more so than we were already set up to based on where we started field position. Uh, and, and again, Talit Keaton was uh, able to come within a shoestring of busting a couple to the end zone. Uh, Verhoff gets back on the on the positive train of kicking his field goals. The extra points look good. So it was a mixed bag. You cl- Illegal kicks don't happen every day, you know, so that's a fluky type play. But now that's multiple games this season. We've seen a shanked punt in a in a war like less than ideal situation, mm-hmm. already pinned back deep. So, yeah. what do you got for the special teams this week? I got a B, and uh, the reason I called a muff punt because it was a muffed uh, catch, yeah. you know, yeah. by the by the punter. Uh, he wouldn't have had an illegal kick if he would have caught it the the way I I put it. Um, on both he and the long snapper, uh, it's hard to tell. You know, watching the video when I watched the different reviews, but it looked like it was just a little high and a little left, you know, of where he was saying, but you can't expect it to be right. You still on. got two hands on yeah. the damn thing. Yeah. So, uh, but again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not on him. I'm yeah. just on it happened. Right. Yes. So, yes. Um, again, these things happen. Uh, you just, that's usually if you're punting, you know, that's the bad. I mean, it's always, you have to have a clean, transaction you have to get positive punting yards no matter what that one hurt us really bad it was a 23 yard swing backwards from where the line of scrimmage was and they got a quick touchdown um the other thing was we had four punts that went for touchbacks and we were really close to downing those inside the five and bad bounce again you know it's extremely hard to chip those up there and have them bounce straight up in the air or backspin. Uh, we came really close. Uh, Keaton did great, but he did great because he had time to, for the first time in a, a while, he had yeah, he, t- he had time to actually. He had returnable kicks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so overall I give him a B and it's only because of those two punts uh, that you mentioned uh and just just slightly about us not being able to down them inside the five because you're talking about you do that i mean man if with, the way, prob- with the way that defensive line's eaten you might end up with a safety yeah know? that's what i was gonna say yeah. a, sa- a safety or a pick <laughs> six and uh you know so that that really would have turned the screws a lot more but overall good can't, yeah, can't good. They all didn't. They all did what they needed to do to keep yep. the game competitive. It didn't give outside of that one play that led to a touchdown. And if that doesn't yeah. happen, if that's a clean punt, that's a touchdown off the board, you know. But of course, that's also a PAT returned for 
safety or whatever the hell they call it. Oh, you know, I, I, I didn't even bring that part up. You know, I mean that I, I'm going to have to go uh, A minus. Uh, <laughs> spe- special teams gave us, uh, I mean, Put it was points only, on the board. only two points, but that was something that, you know, we could have been down 13 to nothing. We're down 12 to two. That was a, a three point swing. Uh, and it was the first points of the game. So it first got the points, herd yeah. on the board. And yeah. that was, that's why I said that play can't be understated. Uh, that that's what got Marshall on the board. So those those also don't happen every day. But that was a pretty cool, you know. It's things plays like that really just take your excitement. Like it's it's a very acute excitement because you don't expect it to happen. Here here's how rare they happen. The last time the herd did that, our good friend DJ Hunter did it. Yes, I saw that against Tulsa. I believe it was yeah. back in 2012. Yeah. So shout out DJ making plays all over the place. Always finds his way into the Thundercast every <laughs> couple of weeks somehow. Uh, what do you got for this coaching staff? They put together what seemed to be like a pretty solid plan based on what was in front of them. And they were just given the gift of Centeo being out, which accentuated the success of that plan. But it was a good plan going in regardless. A plus. And here's why. Uh, everyone wants to talk about, you know, hey, it's the coaches. The coaches are not doing this. They're not doing that. They brought in some different plays for Fancher. They brought in uh, a couple of times two tight ends, mm-hmm. brought them in extra blocks. Uh, we ran the Wildcat or whatever you would want to call it twice with Montgomery behind there with Fancher still on the field. Uh, even though those weren't like plays that broke for big yards or anything the fact that they put it out there making it a threat and the defense having to guess what Fancher was going to do and and where he was at uh I believe it was one was a design to throw it back to Fancher um it looked like we were going to do a double pass there at one time and just could not get it uh that was the last play of the half actually that was about my only gripe it really, we, I'll let you finish your thought, but, but my point is they threw the ball downfield. They threw the ball over the middle. Uh, they had a pretty balanced Russian pass, uh, per play. Uh, they, uh, brought the different packages in to help, uh, go against this extremely stout defensive line and their blitzes and everything. Um, Obviously, when they saw whatever it was they saw that changed the pressure situation that they were doing, I mean, they attacked, they smelled blood, and they went after it. And, and I mean, you just have to give, to me, all the way around an A-plus on what the coaches did. And uh, I think it's pretty silly that we still have, well, so-and-so ought to be fired because we had 12 months or, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this isn't NCAA 14 on the PlayStation where, you know, you're racking up 700 yards every game and you play a flawless offensive game. They went in there against the number 11 ranked total defense, uh, not giving up many points until that Georgia Southern game uh, the Mm -hmm. previous week. They had not been giving up points at all. And we went in there and beat them in their house right after they had been ranked 25th, uh, A-plus by the coaches. Yeah, I mean, fans just tend to, if we're winning, they're like, okay, everything's cool. And as soon as 
we take a loss and we're kind of guilty of that to a degree, but not yeah. nearly as bad as some of the other folks. We're, we're not on here saying, well, such and such needs fired. We, this is the problem. We just talk about where there are deficiencies in the game. Right. Other people take it a far, a little bit farther and they're calling for people's jobs. And that's just not how we roll. The only gripes that I had with the coaching this, this past week was, the play I just mentioned, the last play of the half, where we have like 30 seconds. You have enough time to try to run a sideline route or two just to see if something works and maybe get into a long field goal range and give it a shot. Instead, we would we ran what appeared to be a double pass that just got blown to shreds, and they were just like, eh, we'll take it into the half. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we're down at that point. You know, at least, that, in retrospect, doesn't matter. But at the time, you're thinking – Guys, we're on the road. You know, we got 30 seconds. We need to take a chance or two to get some points on the board, get a field goal or something. Ultimately, right. it didn't matter. Ultimately, it didn't matter. Caveat for me on that, uh, watching it live, um, if that would have worked, everyone would have said, what a gutsy call and a good yeah. call before the half. I mean, that's the way those things work. But up until that point, we still were, besides the 61-yard run by Labor we had not been moving the ball very well against a very good defense. We made adjustments at halftime, uh, which we've talked about. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm I'm not, you know, I mean, what happens if you throw a, an interception there and they get yet another chance to go score? What would we be talking about then? Of course. Uh, so I, I'm not I'm not mad at it. No, but in real time, I'm thinking, man, this is like you got 30 seconds here. You got time to try to do something just to get a little extra momentum. You know, it, like I said, it ultimately doesn't matter now that you win the game and you see this dominating performance and and, you know, Marshall rips off 24 unanswered and all that stuff. It doesn't matter. So we can talk about this as a way like, well, it would have been cool to see this. The only other thing is I still think we go to the well a tad bit too much with the line of scrimmage passes and the behind of line of scrimmage passes. That's we, it. It's like we it's do. time to dial those down, like take away two, three, four of those a game, one a quarter. You don't run that. Just run something different, something different. We do. Uh, however, like I said, in that charting, uh, we even through that first quarter where it wasn't looking very good, we were still throwing uh, over the middle and, and longer passes. Um we were running slants, something that, you know, we had, we used to eat it up. Of course yeah. it was with Byron, but, uh, you know, we used to run those all the time. Um, we were, we were running different, different routes. We were at least maybe even running the same routes, but we were passing to those players. Uh, I would have liked to have seen us spread the ball a little bit more around, uh, to give more targets to, to other people. But, um, uh, overall <laughs> we won baby yeah you overall know? it's an a plus effort I'm, <laughs> yeah. i get the benefit of being nitpicky right yeah sure like this is what i'd like to see not what we needed to do this is like man it would be awesome if we did this who gives us crap we won that's yeah. all that matters so for the fans however you want to grade them social media folks that made the trip whatever what do you got for the fans this week uh we were loud uh we it was uh packed out a lot of people made the the trip down there I will say that there were two things. I had a guy behind me that uh, was just seemed to be horribly uh, not familiar with the team, but he didn't let that get in the way with him yelling at, at him. <laughs> uh, he, you know, someone uh, someone said, "What about Pennington?" And uh, he said, uh, 
yeah, he's third string. We need to put him in. And uh, I just, you know, wasn't in the mood to to argue, but I was like, he wasn't on the plane. You know, yeah. he he's not third string. He's he's last. He got here in August. He's not. If his last name was Chester, he would not be in your vocabulary. You wouldn't be talking about him. Give this true freshman that's not playing this year a rest, man. He's yeah. not. He's not his dad, or at least he's not his dad yet, or he's not the the first uh Cole Pennington yet let the guy just I mean he's obviously not our third string quit putting pressure on him <laughs> but that it was worse than that he was you know and he a couple of other people there were like here we go here it is again and I was just like man did you really drive four hours yes. to come down here and bitch about this team I mean you know I yeah, it 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 looked rough on the first series, but I was like, "All right, come on, let's go." We, you know, we got to hold them here. And uh, the only other thing at the end of the game, there were two high school students behind me uh, from our fans, and they were chirping at the after not knowing any of the players uh, during the game, uh, sometimes not paying attention to the game as the opposing fans that were in our section were leaving. They were yelling at him, said, yeah, purple, go ahead and beat the traffic and get on out of here. And they're turning around and looking at him like, really? You know? Yeah. And um, there's no need for that. You know, we're sitting here talking about how well we were received down there at James Madison. So why be like that? You know, you, you win like you've done it before, you know? Well, you're talking the difference between adults and kids though. So. Yeah. But, uh, I was a kid once too, and I don't remember doing that. You know, uh, don't, don't, don't you dare, don't you, da- don't you dare start telling stories. But, uh, uh, but no, uh, I overall, I have to give us an A minus. And it was just because uh, on social media, there was still a lot of uh, it's, it's still broken and we suck and that sort of thing. No, we don't. So when is it ever going to not be? broken you know because unless you're scoring touchdowns every time you get the ball or creating turnovers or punts every time you're on defense yeah it's never going to be perfect okay yeah. no, no team in the history of football ever has been perfect i don't care if you've got an undefeated record it's right. not perfect yeah you know so you got to be content with who you are and and that's why i kept having to come to the defense it seemed like it's like right now we need to do what we need to do to win and if handing the ball like I I made the comment that late in that game I was perfectly content with three consecutive handoffs and a punt because all that was doing was chewing away clock because their offense could not move the ball on our defense not many times in my life am I content with Marshall running three straight handoffs protecting the ball going down and punting that's it and I was fine with that because I knew that would win us a ball game yeah. And at that point, that's all I care about. When you're building, when you're still building, not you, you're, I guess Marshall's still trying to build somewhat of an identity because they're in flux a little bit. Now there's a quarterback issue going on here, and Henry may or may not be dinged up for the long term. We don't know. This may mm-hmm. be Cam's team to go with and run with since he's got the hot hand now. We don't know. So they're still trying to figure out an identity. Here we are halfway through this. So you do the daggone things you got to do to win. And if yeah. you got to punt 12 times to win, you punt 12 times to win. 
That's it. I, I tell you, the way the defense was playing, I mean, I, I may have punted on first down and just said, hey, <laughs> you know, we're going to get a lot more yards this way. You know? hey, risk uh, the biscuit. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. All right, let's close out this uh, recap here. Give me some quick MVPs. Who you got on offense? Um, Labron, again, uh, you know, 151 yards against the number one ranked yeah. defense. No brainer. No brainer. Uh, defensive MVP. I will allow a cop out this week because there were so many stellar performances. Uh, who you got? Uh, Owen Porter. I don't think there's a cop out. <laughs> I I can't imagine as well as anybody else played. I mean, stacked two uh, two of their guys up against Porter, and Porter still had the better game. Uh, he was just like I said. He was Jonathan Goddard focused. Took over the game. Yeah, he did. I would have. You know, I was kind of leaning. Maybe he'll go Porter slash Gray, just because both those guys had phenomenal games. But uh, like yeah, I like I said, you couldn't have convinced me that anybody could have topped yeah. what Charlie Gray was doing. And then Owen Porter basically said, "Hold my know, herd country logger. <laughs> hold, hold my six shooter." <laughs> yeah, uh, special teams MVP. Um, I'm going to go with. Uh, the uh who was it that returned the... i think it was ej jackson i think it was yes it was yeah it was ej jackson i'm gonna go with him uh he was not the guy that blocked it uh but the guy i mean he he returned it basically 99 yards or 98 or 95 whatever it was and that just really really happened at a time where we needed it to happen yeah it was that was a phenomenal play and really put Got the things going. Like I said, it was the first points on the board for Marshall, and that really got the thing going for the herd, giving them a little mojo to uh, get the offense working and and all that kind of stuff. So, all in all, great win. It's nice to get that first ever Sunbelt Conference victory. But look, right on the horizon here, Coastal Carolina looms. We got a preview here. <sighs> Homecoming for the herd. And Coastal Carolina with their 6-1 and one record, 3-1 and one in conferences coming to the Joan. This Saturday, October 29th, for a Halloween homecoming, 7 p.m. kickoff. Game's going to be on NFL Network for all of you out-of-towners. If you are in town or damn close to town, take advantage of $13 tickets and get to the stadium, please. And, and not just the $13 tickets. I'm getting but, there. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I was I, That was my very next thing. I'll shut up. I'll shut up. <laughs> um, we... As the Thundercast are giving away the tweet, the contest tweet's already out there. We're giving away a family four-pack to this game. And all you got to do to win those tickets or have a chance to win those tickets is, A, if you're on Twitter, follow us on Twitter. B, if you're on Facebook, uh, give us a like and share the post on Facebook. Uh, if you're on both, do both. And uh, as another caveat, we need you to go over to the Thundercast YouTube channel, which is the links are in those posts and those tweets, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, like the tweet as well. Other than that, that's it. We're going to pick somebody at random here well before the game. It won't be on Saturday. We'll probably do it uh, either Thursday or early Friday. So folks have, you know, and, you know, we get to iron through, can you make it to the game type thing? And and if you can't make it to the game, well, I should do this. I should say this now, if you're listening to this, we will pick someone and I'll DM them before we announce it. Because if you can't make it to the game, we'll give you a little bit of time to hear from you. If we don't hear from you, we want our tickets to go to use. So if you can't make it to the game, we're going to ask that you 
let us pick somebody that can go to the game. Just just so butts are in our in the seats. Uh, also, our friends sponsors at Ignite Link were nice enough to also give us two tickets for the game. So we are going to be giving away our family four pack and also awarding two additional tickets, a two pack via Ignite Link uh, from them. So all you're going to have to do to win those tickets is give them a like on Facebook, follow their page, follow them on Twitter at Ignite Link. Uh, I'll put a contest tweet out for that either probably Wednesday, which will be tomorrow. And so be on the lookout. We're giving away at least six tickets. Heck, if more come our way, we'll give those away too. But for right now, at least six tickets for that game. Russ, ESPN Power Index. I don't want to bring it back up again because it hasn't been a thing for the herd, especially in home games against FBS competition. But they really like the herd in this one. I don't know why, but they really do. More convincing than I would think. I thought this would be more of a coin flip game. You're talking about a bowl-eligible first place in the Sunbelt Conference East Division team coming in. 63.7% chance for Marshall to win at home. Marshall has flipped the line in this game. It opened yesterday at Coastal minus one. It is now Marshall minus two with an over-under of 55.5 points. Before we can get into some stats, before we get into, I've done the last three again to give you a better snapshot of what Coastal's looking like here more recently instead of the season thing. Before we get into overall team stats and where everybody's at and some players to watch out for and all that kind of thing, what's the feeling? Okay, I get your gut feeling every week. What does this game feel like? Give me a 30,000-foot view of leading into Saturday. This is what this game looks like it's going to be to me. They have had trouble when they were six and zero. They still had trouble getting to that six and zero, and it looked like they were going to lose four to five of those weeks. And they they pulled it out. It looked like that their record made them look a lot better than they were. Uh, they've obviously got a good quarterback. We're going to break this down. I like the herd. I like their chances. We have uh, a few common opponents on the season. Uh, some of we haven't played yet, you know, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I think the most glaring one is the Gardner, Gardner Webb. Webb. Yeah. And they got in a nail biter with Gardner Webb and the hurt one fairly convincingly against Gardner Webb. They didn't allow an offensive touchdown in that game. And, and it was uh, the remnants of the hurricane Ian type yeah. thing. But um, look, Coastal over their last three, I don't want to take anything away from them because if you're bowl eligible in seven weeks, you're good. You're, I mean, if and if you've got a good quarterback, you've got a chance to win every game, no matter what. So I'm not taking anything away from them. But look, Coastal Carolina over their last three games, they're two and one, averaging on offense 27.6 points per game, allowing 33.3 points per game. Uh, offensively, they rack up some yardage over those last three. They're averaging 458 yards per game. Defensively, they're giving up. 471 yards per game. They just gave up, get this, to Old Dominion last week in a loss where ODU almost put a 50 spot on them in Conway. Old Dominion rushed for 323 yards on this Coastal Carolina defense. They gave up 178 yards to Georgia Southern, who only got 12 against James Madison, who the herd just put 160-some on. So extrapolate that in your noggin however you will, but from a, a, a sky's eye or a bird's eye view, it says 
Marshall can run on this team. That's what it tells me. They can run on this team. Uh, conversely, Marshall in their last three, also two and one. Scoring just 25.6 points per game, but only allowing 10.6 points per game. Uh, offensively, the herd is gaining 341 yards on offense while only allowing 242.6 yards per game on defense. Still, we they're factor, we're factoring in that Gardner-Webb game as a little bit of an outlier. I didn't dig deeper in and just do the Sunbelt Conference games or anything like that, but uh, the point total two weeks ago was like 19 points to Sunbelt teams. Well, we brought that down quite a, a little bit because we only allowed 12 to James Madison. So the herd is still stout against Sunbelt Conference teams. The question is, will they be able to contain this passing offense uh, of Coastal Carolina? So let's talk about some players to look out for, right? Uh, and it starts at the quarterback position with Coastal Carolina. It's number 10, Grayson McCall. If you don't know this guy, you haven't been watching college football for the past few years. He's pretty good. Six foot three, 215 pound junior, number 28 in passing yards in the country heading into this game. Uh, 137 out of 194 for 1,940 yards passing on the season. 18 touchdowns, but wait for it, one interception on the season. That's a hell of a touchdown to interception ratio. He has only been sacked 13 times, but of those 13, six came last week against old dominion and four came against Gardner Webb. 10 of 13 in those two games. Okay. Uh, number 27 running back CJ Beasley, five foot 10, 205 pound sophomore, 98 carries for 539 yards on the season, four touchdowns on the ground. That's good for 5.5 yards per carry. Of those 98 carries, not a one fumble, not a one. Takes care of the ball quite well. Number 15, a couple of wide receivers we'll talk about. 15 wide receiver, Sam Pinckney, to six foot four, 215 pound senior, 44 catches for 650, or I'm sorry, 623 yards. Leads the team in both receptions and yardage, but just one touchdown through the air on the season. Good for 14.4 yards per catch. And number 14, more of the big play receiver, uh, Jared Brown, six foot, 185 freshman, 28 catches for 565 yards, five touchdowns through the air, and 20.2 yards per catch. This coastal offense goes for around 50% on third down. That's something to be aware of. They're averaging about 32 and a half minutes per game in time of possession. Uh, they average 283 passing yards per game, which is just mm. a little, well, it's a little over. Yeah, a little over a hundred yards more than what they rush for in a game. So they're quite a bit more pass heavy than run heavy, which I think, you know, I don't want to say this plays into the herd strength, but we just saw what the hell they can do on a defensive line pass rush. And we also saw what they can do with bringing, uh, bringing the ball down with interception. So McCall doesn't throw a lot, but have they faced a defensive line as uh, physical and violent as this herd defensive line has defensively, for Coastal, it starts with number 21 linebacker J.T. Killen, 6'3", 225-pound junior, 58 total tackles, 19 of those solo, two-and-a-half sacks, one forced fumble, three fumble recoveries, and a pass defended. He's a great all-around player for Coastal. Number 39 linebacker Trey Pinckney, 6'1", 220-pound junior, 32 total tackles with 15 of those solo, two interceptions, and one pass defended. And the last guy we're going to put a spotlight around is number seven, corner Lance Boykin, six foot three, two hundred pound corner, senior, thirty one tackles, two hundred twenty two solo, one sack, 
two interceptions, a forced fumble, and three passes defended. Uh, impact plays through seven games, Russ. 17 total sacks as a team, eight interceptions as a team, five forced fumbles, and nine fumble recoveries. Uh, pretty decent job at getting the ball, getting turnovers, while not turning the ball over a whole hell of a lot for this Chanticleer's offense. So, where do we go from here? I have one more player to watch out for. Okay. It's uh, number 84, tight end Jacob Jenkins. He's a six foot three, 235 pound junior. He has seven receptions only on the season. Three of them have gone for scores. Uh, good quarterbacks generally have someone that's a release valve, and he seems to be one of those that, although he doesn't get a lot of targets, we're going to have to watch him, especially down in the red zone. Yeah, I was going to say he looks like that that red zone sleeper that nobody really pays attention to, and he just slips out for the easy touchdown. Okay, so based on everything we just said, all the numbers I threw out at you, uh, first of all, how many keys to victory do you have for the herd this week? I have three. All right. Well, I've got four as per the norm. So where do you want to start? What is your number one key to victory for Marshall? Well, why don't you start first since you've got four and that okay. way you will go back and forth. All right. My number one key to victory for the herd is they have to win first and second down this game. You can't live and die trying to convert on third down. I think you got to go plus yardage three or four on first and second down and stay in that third and short, that third and two, third and three uh, type game in order to remain successful. We know that Laybourne can really get you three just about every play, you know, by and large on average, he's going to get you three, but you got to win first and second down. And also in, it's not just getting positive yardage. It's refraining from that holding penalty or that false start penalty that causes you to lose your initial first down. You've lost the initial battle on first down. Now you're first and 15. So the, that's my number one key to victory, maintaining manageable third down so that you can have a better conversion rate than you saw against James Madison. Mine is uh, that we have to disrupt McCall and force errors. You mentioned he's only got one interception on the, the season. I've got some more stats to talk about uh, with him and their overall team, but um we have got to get in the backfield on him, but we've also got to jam the wide receivers, uh, have some uh, double coverage every now and then, shade a safety over something to where we force them, if it's not turnovers, at least to overthrow passes, have to throw it out of bounds, and we've got to sack him and, and keep him from getting those big plays. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point. I mean, at this point, McCall is settled into his role, and he's really good at playing quarterback. He's mm -hmm. really good at playing quarterback. So anytime you can get a guy off of his spot and try to create some sort of uneasiness or added pressure, that helps. But I think that's not going to be enough. You're going to have to get licks on this guy. You're going to have to put him on the ground a couple of times. You're going to have to get get home and get a few sacks on him. It's an excellent point, which goes right into my number two key to victory, which is cut the defensive line loose. We saw what they can do when they start having a little bit of success. Those guys start to get jacked up and they start to really start to feast a little bit. And if you throw in a guy like we mentioned, Tyquez Legs, who just adds to the depth, who is a guy that may have to suck two blockers in on that guy, you got to account he's sucking the line in now your edge rushers get a little bit freer. Guys like Owen Porter, guys like Cumberlander get the, you know, maybe take a little bit tighter of an angle to that quarterback, and they get there a half a step faster. So you get that hit on the quarterback. So guys like 
Gibson and, and Watts and Legs, those guys are going to play tremendous roles in this game to help free up our bow plans, our Neils, our, our uh, uh, Sam Burtons and, and Charlie Grays and Porters and Cumberlanders. Those guys are going to play a vital role. So you've got to cut them loose, let them eat, see what happens. And if you have some success early, maybe it, maybe it, uh, that's just a foreshadow into long-term game-wide success. What's your number three key to victory? Or your number two key to victory? Number two is field position. Just like I had mentioned on uh, James Madison, we're going to have to have better field position than them. We cannot give McCall a short field. Uh, we need to make them have those longer drives. We need to make them feel like they're going to have to throw deep to try to, you know, get if we've got them pinned back, you know, that they want to try to move the ball. Um we have got to control that field position and give ourselves a better chance on our drives. So number two for me. Uh, number three for me is pretty straightforward. Kalen Laburn has got to continue to eat. Got to. I mean, he's gotten us this far. We've we've lived and died by the run. As the passing game continues to evolve, maybe we saw some baby steps of that, and now we need to build upon what we did at James Madison, especially if Cam's the guy. If, if this is Cam's second career start and and he's taken, you know, first string reps all week in preparation for this matchup. But still, uh, the the game one to game two evolution and development is probably not going to be so great that it's going to offset labor needing a great game, just like we've seen. It, we call it great. It's average for him, you know, because all he's done is average over 100 yards every game. So if he has an average Kalen Laburn game, we got to have that. We can't have that below average game. We definitely can't uh, see the fumbleitis like we saw at uh, Bowling Green rear its ugly head. We're going to need every point that we can get, and and a lot of those points are going to come uh, via the legs of Kalen Labor. My number three is time of possession. I feel like we cannot allow them, and this is because one of the stats that I'm going to get into here in a minute – but we cannot allow them to have, like, say, 35-plus minutes uh, out of this game and keeping our defense on the field and that sort of thing. Uh, we need to have a more balanced time of possession or us dominate that mm -hmm. to uh, to really keep our defense fresh and attacking on them. Yeah, so what's the best way to neutralize a really good quarterback? You keep him standing on the sideline and off yeah. the field. Yeah. And, and hopefully our run game contributes to that in a big way. And, and you're right. We can't be, you know, minus six or seven in time of possession. Yeah, I mean, we, we need to be 50-50 at worst, really. Uh, my last key to victory is something that I'm going to – piggyback off of what you were talking about again in the James Madison recap. And that's, I think we need to work those intermediate routes a lot more than we work them against James Madison. They worked, they worked and, and they didn't always have to go for a huge play, but even if it goes for five or six, yeah, I'll take five or six, you know, because uh, you get enough of those five or six yard gains. And then all of a sudden the running lanes get a little bit wider. You mentioned that, you know, it, it it's, it's kind of common sense and football 101 stuff, but if we continue to do this, it makes our run game a little bit easier to gain yardage. And and if that's where we're going to make our hay is is in the run game, then we've got to work the middle of the field. We've got to work those intermediate routes. I don't I don't care what it is. I don't want to see our guys catch a 
a one yard pass and have to make a move to get four or five extra yards. Just hit him five yards down the field. I mean, we've got to be able to do that. This is Division One college football. You have to be able to consistently hit that intermediate route. You know, you can't always rely on your guy to to make a make a move. It's great when they do, but you know, it, it, your arsenal just has to be expanded a little bit. That's all. Um, who is going to be your Thundercast Player of the Week this week? I think it's going to be a uh, defensive player, and I think that uh, it's going to be Stephen Gilmore. Oh, all right. Um, I can fully see where that's coming from because when you got a guy that's lighting it up the way that McCall has, at some point he's just due, right, to to have a ho-hum game. Mm-hmm. And what better defense to force him into having that ho-hum game than a guy like Stephen Gilmore, than guys like Abraham and Andre Sam, the yep. guys that don't just deflect the ball, they come down with the ball. Yep. That's an excellent pick. Uh, I'm still maintaining and sticking with the labor and train until yep. it derails because it's just proven to be the one constant throughout this entire season. Uh, the, 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 the special season that we are all being witness to is – is just something I can't come off of right now because every week it shows up. And until it doesn't show up, it's going to show up as my Thundercast player of the week. Spoiler alert. So uh, score prediction, what do you got? So I ate all this crow, right? Yeah. You full? Yeah, I'm full. <laughs> There's no need to do it anymore. I've got I've got the herd winning 32-23. All right, kind of a bust-out game, uh, 32 points. 30 points always seems to be that magical number that you kind of got to get to to win more than you lose, right, for whatever the case may be. I also like the herd to hold serve at home in front of what we hope will be a huge home crowd. Discounted tickets? Come on, guys. Go to Herd Zone. Right? If you're listening right now, why, open a tab on your phone. Go to Herd Zone so later on when you're checking something, you're like, oh, yeah, I meant to buy tickets. HW13, enter the code, get $13 tickets. Look, my score prediction this week is going to be Herd 24, Coastal 17. I think McCall gets forced into a couple of turnovers. We may see a sack fumble type deal. It doesn't necessarily have to be an interception. Turnovers can come from all over the place. Uh, I like the Herd to get this one and kind of – that was a get-right game against James Madison. And I think this is a game where they can take a step and prove like, okay, we've got something going now. Build a little momentum. We said a couple of weeks ago they've got to go four and two down the stretch. It didn't feel good about where all these wins were going to come from. And, uh, you know, it's still very – it's very iffy. It's it's iffy until it isn't. Yeah, but, yeah. But this is, this is a great opportunity for the herd to, you know, get something going, get some momentum going and, and prove that they've got something right. Uh, any final words for Coastal Carolina? If not, or let's have them. Yeah. And, and if not, let's go around the herd. Yeah, I do have them, and I was saving these till last. You can uh, riff off of them if you want to uh, with your thoughts. But the reason that I had us, um, they've got a good offensive team. But mm-hmm. let's talk about it here. They're 15th in the nation in completion percentage at 69%. They're 20th in third down conversions at 48.9, like you had mentioned earlier, uh, almost getting 50%. They're 30th in passing offense, like you mentioned, 282.9, right there at uh, 283 yards. They're tied for 34th in fourth down conversions at 60%. On fourth downs, they are 6 for 10 on the year. Uh, 
fourth in passing efficiency, largely because the number of uh, uh, interceptions to touchdowns is so out of whack. They're seven, 70th in rushing defense. You mentioned that they give up 147 a game. But let's talk about where they're bad. 106th in tempo, uh, which is plays per minute. Mm-hmm. And they were 123rd last year. They can get into some situations where they are not very good at scoring quickly. You know, maybe it's a, a longer drive, which I said, you know, we had to control that field position. This is a little bit weird. My final stat, Coastal and Marshall are tied for 117th in red zone offense. We have both gone 19 scores out of 26 attempts in the red zone for 73.1%. We were both 117th out of 131. But think about the Bowling Green, two fumbles inside the five, and we just had a fumble that went inside the three for this last game. Mm -hmm. Take those and make us 22 out of 26, even if you only get field goals out of there. But it seems like Laburn should have been able to punch those in. Um we're looking at a vastly different thing. They don't have, to my knowledge, those fumbles inside the five. So they kind of struggle when they get down to the red zone. And that is one of the reasons that I think if we can prevent them from lighting up the scoreboard, we will finally be able to break over that 30 barrier and win 32 to 23. That's a good point. It's not one that I considered, but Marshall may be able to get away with playing a a very much of a bend don't break type defense you give up a lot of yardage maybe between the 20s and we already talked about the fact that McCall's not turning the ball over at least three interceptions and a running back hasn't fumbled this season so where are the points right what what what's happening well they, obviously you know, we've alluded that maybe the tight ends accounted for a couple of those scores but you would think that those numbers would be a lot higher given the mm-hmm. fact that McCall's got 18 touchdowns versus one interception they're starting running back or they're the the, the uh, leading rusher doesn't have a fumble in the season, so that's weird to me. You know, that's yeah. just a, that's just a weird kind of anomaly in this in the stat sheet. One final thing that I left off there that I forgot, but uh, so far Marshall has not had anyone miss a field goal against them this year, still through seven games. So I really hope this is the time that they do, and that will help us as well. Yeah, it's a good. I, I saw that too, and had, it had slipped my mind. So, if you got a team that struggles with getting touchdowns in the red zone, it's a good time for them to start missing field goals against you too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we both like the herd to get the win at, at homecoming at home. Uh, we need to get right. You know, we dropped the the midweek against Louisiana at home. We were kind of doing well, and now it's time to get back to protecting Jonesy Edwards Stadium, protecting the M protecting the junk, whatever you want to say. We got to get a, we can't uh, expect to drop home games and be competitive in this conference. You've got to hold serve at home. And that starts with preparation this week by our coaches and players, but it also is stamped home by people turning out to the game, being loud, being uh, a part of the game, being uh, very interactive and uh, staying after halftime, get your butt back to the game, right? Get your butt back there. Uh, Russ, let's take us around the herd. Yeah, real quickly, we've got women's soccer. We talked about this earlier, but they battled back for a 2-2 two to two draw at Coastal on Thursday. Really late uh, two scores to do that. Uh, then they thumped Texas State 4-1 to one at home on Sunday. 
They finished the regular season on Thursday at Old Dominion at 7 p.m. And then Monday, they start the conference tournament. That'll be uh, October the 31st through November the 6th. Over on the men's side, they absolutely blistered Georgia Southern 6-1 to at home on Sunday. Um, and they play next at Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you're listening, that's probably today. Uh, Wright State is who they are playing at. God, so a six-goal performance, and also wasn't it a seven-goal performance earlier in the season? Yeah. So, I mean, man, when these guys get on a roll, they can embarrass somebody. <laughs> Now, Georgia Southern is not very good. I don't year. care. <laughs> but, but, and I, that's the reason that I set this up to say they're not very good. But if you put six goals on somebody in soccer, you're still, you still have to kick it past them. You know? Yeah. That, uh, I mean, that's like hanging 80 in football. You know, it, yeah. it happens, but not very often. Yeah. Uh, volleyball, tough time. They got swept, uh, Two different times, three sets to none, Friday and Saturday by App State. They're going to Coastal to play on this Friday and Saturday. Hope that they can turn it around and and get back on the on the winning ticket. Uh, women's golf finished tenth as a team at the Charlotte Invitational, and that wrapped up uh, today. And that wrapped up also their fall schedule. They don't play again until February. Uh, tennis. South Carolina invite is this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Cross country Sunbelt championships are on Saturday all day long at Foley, Alabama. We hope to have some really good news out of there. Uh, Swimming and diving. They announced clinics for their swimmers that are age six to 17. Uh, Starts and turns will be on uh, November the 27th. Freestyle and backstroke will be on December the 4th and breaststroke and butterfly will be on January the 8th. I uh, find that information on herd zone. If I remember correctly, they said 40 per clinic is all they're doing. So if you have swimmers age six to 17, that you want to get them more into competitive or even just learning how to do some of this stuff, uh, it's 50 bucks per swimmer per clinic so go ahead and get them signed okay, up now. so you mean you mean 40 spots per 40 40 spots yeah, yeah. okay yeah uh and then we've got uh, men's basketball exhibition is this friday at home university of charleston comes and it'll be 7 p.m uh yeah so basketball season is upon us at some point we're gonna have to squeeze in a little bit of a basketball season like preview, you know, like a roster breakdown, kind of like yep. we did for football, just to get some folks familiarized with the changes on the team. Uh, I don't know when that might happen after, obviously, this exhibition game. We're going to have to find a time where we can fit it into an episode that doesn't make it a three-hour type deal. But we want to do that. Uh, the one note that we've got to talk about leading into this exhibition game against the University of Charleston is the contest tweet is out there. We got tickets to every home men's and women's basketball game this entire season, and we're going to be giving away tickets to everyone. So the contest tweet is already out there. All you got to do is find it. Make sure you're following the Thundercast on Twitter. Uh, also on Facebook, you just make sure you like the page and uh, share the post on Facebook, like the tweet on Twitter, and you will be entered in for an opportunity to win those tickets. We'll let you know in advance. 
just uh, again, like with football and any other tickets that we give away, if you can't go to the game, kindly let us know so we can send people that can go to the game. We want these tickets to go to use, and we want Herb fans to be able to enjoy the uh, tickets that we're giving away. But lots of stuff going around the herd. Let's see if Abby Herring can do Abby Herring type mm-hmm. stuff at the SBC championships. I, uh, I, I have one more around the herd item. Okay. You cannot go around the herd without noticing uh, all the stuff that Jake Griffith did around the herd. You know, he had the herd or the Marshall Minute. Uh, he was your outstanding commentator on basketball and for soccer and uh, did a lot with herd vision and really mm-hmm. kind of brought that up. And Jake announced that he is uh, finished up now with Marshall and he's moving on. I don't want to say where he's going. You'll be seeing him pretty soon making some sort of announcement. I don't want to steal his thunder or anything, but uh, yeah, that was a pun. But um, we love Jake and what he did for Marshall and everything. So we just felt like we needed to talk about all that he did and that fabulous hair that he has. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I had the opportunity to meet Jake early on in his tenure with Marshall and um he was way back at a fan day man maybe 2017 I want to say I mean it was a long time ago and he was talking about some of the things that he had done at his high school you know that were in line with what he wanted to do at Marshall and and a lot of the things that he has been instrumental in developing didn't exist here or they mm-hmm. did but not nearly to the level that they exist now and I made the the tweet that you know most fans won't understand how integral he has been in you know uplifting the the media the in house media at Marshall, but it's true you know most folks think that this stuff just kind of happens you know in this day and age oh it, it's media is easy you know to produce and and it's not and you know we were particularly behind uh, in some areas way back then five six years ago. And this young, motivated student had some ideas and experience already that he had done. And, you know, we talked about that for a couple of minutes. And and uh, it's pretty cool. You know, he um, he shared some of the things that he wanted to do. And, and a lot of those have come to fruition. And Herd fans, by and large, are reaping the benefits of a lot of the foundation and groundwork that he put in place, uh, you know, just as, a, just as a guy that wanted to do something and be involved with Marshall's, you know, media. And it's and it's grown, you know. He we we can't give all the credit to him. There are a lot of people behind the scenes, a lot of people behind the scenes. But uh, he took what we had and took it to a different level, and now it has gone several levels up above that. But Jake is no small part of what ha- that of what we are all enjoying now. And it's sad to see him go, but he is just a freaking rock star at what he does. I mean, it's just un. It, it, it was unrealistic to think that he was going to be here forever he's just destined to do bigger things right and you know hopefully at some point you like to see that these things may run full circle and he may come back in a different role but you know still do some of that broadcasting type of stuff but as a i i hate this this may come out wrong but i'm i mean i don't want to say more of a professional but i think you know what i mean like not a student, but like he's been in the game. He's already been around and worked the country and, you know, his, his professional status is higher. Not that he's more professional. It's just that his experience is even longer of a laundry list. So we wish him nothing but the best. I'm going to miss him. He's a great dude. And, um, 
I don't know, man. He, it's gonna, it, it won't be the same. Not hearing Jake on some of these calls uh, on the ESPN Plus broadcast, it just won't be the same. You it know, won't. So, uh, nothing but the best and onward and upward, like with most things we talk about with the uh, the herd family. Yeah. How about some final final words so we can close this bad boy out? If you don't got anything, take us out of here. Yeah. So uh, I don't have any final words. Taking us out of here is just like we do every week. Whether you see us at the cam, whether you see us at the Joan, hopefully with you with your $13 or free tickets in hand over there watching Herd Cruise, or whether you see me beside the road picking up as much uh, dead crow as I can so I can shovel it into my (laughs) mouth for all the crow that I need to eat for being so wrong about uh, what happened at JMU. No matter where you see us, we're going to be saying, go Herd. Go Herd. It is the Thundercast. We will see you next week. Later. Later.